welcome to the VOE podcast, an extension of Voices of Experience, the signature speaker series at the University of Denver's Daniels College of Business. I'm your host, Crystal Griffith, from the Daniels Office of Communications and Marketing. We'll be unpacking topics at the intersection of business and the public good with CEOs and other business leaders from the Daniels community. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Andrea Westcott-Passman, Chief Operating Officer of Karis Oil & Gas. Karis is a privately held natural gas producer, the largest in the Western United States. Andrea leads operations, engineering, and environmental health and safety for the organization. She's been with Karis for three years and in the oil and gas industry for more than 20 She received her bachelor's degree in petroleum engineering from the Colorado School of Mines and is a graduate of the Daniels College of Business, receiving her MBA in 2008. While we'll talk to Andrea about her industry, we've also asked her here to be a guest for International Women's Day, which is coming up on March 8th. Andrea is an advocate for women in leadership and has some great insight into the glass cliff. Andrea, Welcome to the VOE Podcast. Thank you for having me. You are most welcome. So, Andrea, before we get to our big topic of the day, I'd like people to get to know you. I know you were raised in a gold mine in Alaska, which sounds super interesting, and now you're a COO. So, talk a little bit about your background. How did you get to where you are today? It's because I love dirt. (laughs) (laughs) I've spent my entire life in the dirt. And uh, I'll say, so I'm a pioneer, not just from the Daniels DU perspective, but my grandparents homesteaded the land that we lived on up in Alaska. So I grew up on a gravel pit that ended up providing a lot of the gravel for the Alaska pipeline up there. And then my dad was a Vietnam vet and he got uh, transferred into Alaska because he was an army guy. And then he fell in love with gold mining. So we had a family mine that was about 100 miles south of the Arctic Circle. And this is really the beginning. You know, in Alaska, people just do. There is no women don't do this and men do that because you're just trying to survive and not freeze to death. Sure. You know, in the dirt. And so it was actually, I think back to like one of the beginning things that really drove me into operations and and really sort of the industrial world was my mom taught me how to drive a loader before I learned how to drive a car. Wow. (laughs) And it was my mom. My dad could have, but my mom, because there was a need. And it was like, get your tail up on that loader. We got work to do. And I was like, I can't reach the brake. But that was really the beginning of it. And so because my grandparents had this pioneering mindset, my mother and father had a pioneering mindset. Mm -hmm. And the gravel business from my grandparents, the gold mine from my parents really kind of started all of that. And then I never never got the message that women don't do certain things and that women, you know, make less money. Like nobody ever told me any of this, which has actually been a blessing. And so, you know, for a long time, I wanted to be an environmental engineer. And my grandfather was a civil from Michigan. And he was like, no, 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 no. You want to go in oil and gas. Look at all this. And I remember Dallas being on the show, you know, JR got shot. And uh, I thought, yeah, I'll be riding around on my horse with my oil fields in the background. <laughs> <laughs> you know, being an Alaskan and not going anywhere for most of my life, that's how I thought it was. And it's pretty close. Uh but a little different. And so, you know, math and science were my wheelhouse as a kid. And um, because of my grandpa and my dad, I knew I didn't want to go to mining because it was cold 
and very, very dirty. And so that's when I decided not environmental engineering, even though the environment is huge for me and it's still very important to me to this day, I decided to go petroleum engineering. And at the time, School of Mines was number one for petroleum engineering, and they offered me a better scholarship than Texas A&M. Boom. So I found myself in Colorado, and that was the beginning of a very long and really fruitful and, and wonderfully rewarding career in oil and gas. So, Andrea, right now you're leading operations, engineering, environmental health and safety for a major company. Sounds super intense. So what exactly does that mean? What do you do? Uh, I get a lot of phone calls in the middle of the night. Ooh. <laughs> but for all the uh, wrong reasons. <laughs> so, you know, my number one job besides, you know, running operations for a $2 billion company, is really to make sure everyone goes home safe every single day. Mm -hmm. And yes, while I have an incredibly technical job and I have a huge P&L, it's really about making sure that you're taking care of the people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I look at my career, it, it was really very early on that I realized the immense uh, responsibility associated with all. And I remember... I used to work for Union Pacific Resources a really long time ago, and they had a lot of great training. And one of my first trainings was to put out uh, a chemical fire. It was 105 degrees that day in East Texas. You know, I have my coveralls on, I have my FR on, my fire retardant clothing, and my fire won't go out. <laughs> And I'm crying because, you know, I'm like 21 and this is my career isn't going to go well if I cannot get the fire out. And then a good friend of mine who ran fire safety at Union Pacific came up to me. We ended up being very good friends. And he was like, let me show you how to put out a fire. And that was really the beginning of understanding how incredibly dangerous but important mm. the industry was. And that really went on for my, my whole entire career and still is today at the forefront. You know, like even last year in 2020, uh, I guess it's 2022 now, two years ago, there was the Pine Gulch fire, which was at the time the biggest fire in Colorado history. And it was right on top of our oil and gas fields. Oh, wow. So we had safety issues from a people perspective. We had environmental issues. We had uh, major business continuity issues. You want to talk about VUCA on another level, you know, and it was two months of trying to manage that. And all of that training and getting up to that point in my career really came into effect there. And it really came down to having a great team in place of people we could trust to help address that. And for those two months in that whole entire period, everyone went home safe, mm. which was the number one achievement that we could have had out of that. So huge. And that, that really is the biggest, biggest focus of my job. Wow. So talk a little bit about Karis Oil and Gas. What is what is the company do and, you know, how do you, what's your role there? Okay. So Karis is the largest natural gas provider in the Western United States. We're privately held, so it's quiet. Uh, we're, we're a Rockies-based operator, so business mostly in Colorado and Utah. And uh, like I said earlier, about a $2 billion company about 300 employees, a number of a couple thousand contractors that work with us on a daily basis. And, uh, you know, really, I joined the company two years ago, right before the pandemic. <laughs> because at that time, uh, there was about 250 oil and gas companies that had gone bankrupt since 2016 in the United States. So, you know, it's, it's a wild ride in oil and gas. And 
when things are good, things are good. And when things are not so good, things are not so good. And really, the company was looking for a total turnaround. I mean, it was near bankruptcy. And they wanted someone to come in and really modernize operations and was sort of the new world of management style, which I'm all about making a bunch of mini CEOs to go around and, you know, run their own businesses out there and empower people and give them autonomy, which is not always oil and gas. Right. And so I joined the company to help do that. The pandemic hit, which actually was a great excuse to accelerate a lot of what we were doing uh, to digitize a lot of the business that had previously been a bit archaic and to really move the needle forward. And here we are two years later, three acquisitions during that time. Wow. That was a little exhausting. Uh, Negative oil. That was a lot of fun that day. Didn't know what to even think of that. And then um, now we're, you know, extremely profitable, doing really well. The board's happy. Our investors are happy. That's few and far between sometimes. And uh, just looking to continue to acquire. That's the mode. Just get bigger. That is incredible. It's been fun. I mean, like no pressure. Hi, uh, we're going to hire you. You got to come in. Oh, and by the way, you're going to face a pandemic, all these external factors. That's impressive, Andrea. Thank you. you. This is why you're here. (laughs) Okay. So let's discuss today's big topic. Um, As you know, we've we've asked you here for International Women's Day. And I know you've heard of the glass ceiling where, you know, women hit a certain level and they just can't keep moving up. But now we're learning about this thing called the glass cliff. And it's where women get promoted during times of crisis. Maybe you've heard of it since it happened to you. But anyway... When failure is more likely, and then it's more risky. So talk about this. Have you seen this? Have you seen it happen to other women? Yeah, you could call me the queen of the cliff. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. I just haven't fallen off the other end yet. Uh, You know, like I said, when I joined uh, Keras, it was a turnaround. The previous company before that, CNX Resources, was a turnaround that was on the verge of bankruptcy. And, you know, a lot of times you see the glass glass cliff because people come to women um, women almost as a last resort. Like, yeah. let me try something so different that I haven't seen before because nothing else worked before this that I'll try out a woman, right? right? Which is a great opportunity, but at the same time comes with a great amount of risk. And if you're not sure what your brand is, what your methodology is, what your leadership style is going into one of those opportunities, and somebody hasn't mentored and trained you along the way, that's when we set up people for failure. Mm. You know, and in my case, it it really comes down to um, making sure that I had a process, Mm. that I had a methodology, that I understood my style to be able to do turnarounds. You know, I don't build things from scratch. That's not my brand. I make things better. I'm an optimizer, you know, truly an engineer from that perspective. You know, and, and when I think about that, I got some great advice one time from Steve White from Comcast. It was some of the best words ever. He said, you have to think of yourself like a business, Andrea Incorporated. And what defines Andrea Incorporated? Not the company you're going to work for. Do those align? You know, and what do you want to get out of this and how do you want to be when you show up? And it was some of the best advice I had ever gotten. And I tell people all the time, I'm like, well, you need to be crystal incorporated. Clearly, you need to take care of yourself and do what's best for you. You know, but being able to define that and figuring out who really you are, Andrea Incorporated, Crystal Incorporated, those are the things that let us be successful so that the glass cliff doesn't get us. Because too often you see women fail in those environments and they don't ever get a chance to recover. It is different. Men often get more chances than women do in that case. So we have to do a better job. Wow. Okay. That's intense. So talk to me a little bit about how you 
got that experience you needed before you put yourself in that high-risk situation? Or did you feel like that? Or did you just go for it? I think sometimes it happens by chance, right? Mm -hmm. So when I look back at my time at CNX Resources, you know, that company was on the verge of bankruptcy when I joined. And we took a risk there to start developing a new play. Uh, You want to talk about convincing a board to go spend $30 million on something that's never been done before is sticking your neck out on the line. And I'll say, I didn't know at the time that I was sticking my neck out on the line. (laughs) I was just doing me, uh, intense me, which I'm very good at. And it paid off. We got lucky, right? And it turned around. It ended up being a hugely successful play that made the company a lot of money. And it also turned the company around so that we were successful to go on and, and continue being a public company. And so, you know, when you look back on those opportunities, yeah, I kind of lucked into it. But since then, I've taken the opportunity to be a mentor and help other women and other diverse people really make sure that they have the path in place, that they have their plan, they have their methodology if they're going into something like that. Mm -hmm. And in hindsight, I didn't have my personal board of advisors quite built out yet, but ooh, you bet I use them all the time. Uh, You know, extensive use of my personal board of advisors uh, as I've gone through the Karis journey as well. Very cool. I want to I want to talk through that because I've heard you talk before. You have a board of advisors. You have very clear um, definitions of what mentorship is versus sponsorship. So talk us through what that means. You know, if you're giving advice to whether it's, you know, fellow alumni or Daniel students or just the general audience, what does this mean? And what do you what do you think they should do? Well, so. One, I think it is the key to my success, this personal board of advisors. Thank you to DU for giving me so many more. I really appreciate that. And also to be an active player for other people in their personal board of advisors. You know, we talk about the difference between an ally, a mentor, and a sponsor or an advocate. An ally is educating yourself and being engaged on the issues in the workplaces so you can help other people out. Being a mentor is about providing guidance. In my world, I think it's a bit of coaching as well. I think one of my biggest questions is what else? It's my favorite. And really discussing their experiences and role-playing in a safe environment, right? It's safe. And, you know, you really have as a mentor, you're not expecting anything in return except for feeling altruistic. And then as a sponsor or an advocate, Essentially, you're using your influence and credibility to help out an individual that maybe um, doesn't normally get the opportunities that would would without you. It's sticking your social capital out there for another person. And you need them all, and you need to be all of them, especially as you advance in your career. I think back to my very first mentor. I didn't even know he was a mentor because we didn't quite have those words 25 years ago. And I was working offshore in the Gulf of Mexico, and that was when I met my first mentor, Russell. Mm. He was a company man. He was a long time, you know, coverall wearing, been in oil and gas his whole life from Galveston, Texas. And he pulled me aside and he said, I like you. And he said, you know where the line in the sand is at. And what he was talking about was boundaries. Mm. And he was really the first person to come to me and say, let me help you be successful in this industry. Mm. Let me show you how to define your boundaries. These weren't the words he used, but this is how I've interpreted it today. So that as a woman and today, 
as a woman, I mean, I'm in a role that's less than 1% female. Oil and gas is 22% female worldwide. But he was saying to me, let me help you figure this out so you can be successful. Mm. And in a lot of ways, a mentor too, they have to like you and you have to like them. That's like a first step in mentorship. And he was saying, I like you. And I said, well, I like you too. And we were good friends for many, many, many years. Mm. And he was my first mentor. And now when I look at my personal board of advisors, some are mentors. Some are people I call randomly. There's a group of network of people that I tap into trying to find specific answers to very specific questions at any given point in time. And on the other hand, I'm also a mentor to other people. You know, I'm, I mentor women from mines. I do a lot of work here at DU. It matters to me to give back because I know I'm lucky to be in the spot that I'm in. So I need to make sure I help everybody else get there too. What was that kind of experience like being, you know, just so male dominated, right? Like, I I mean, I I think a lot of women face that, but it seems maybe pretty extreme in your situation, in your experience. You know, I think um, it's definitely out there. I think what's great now And especially when you just think about anything when it comes to DEI, we're all looking for belonging. And when you say belonging is in, do I fit in? Are there other people here like me? And I was thinking that, yeah, there's not a lot of women to look up to or to even look around for. But who are the people that I can find something in common with that I do share the same values with, right? And it's all about sharing similar values, similar experiences, and differences as well so you can get a different point of view. You know, I think about my values, and it's about doubling down on those. I'm passionate. You know, I believe in integrity. I believe in human connection and making sure that I'm looking for people that share those same values, uh, whether it's a man, a woman, a diverse individual, and being able to provide that for others as well is where we're looking for commonality so we can all move forward together. And, you know, I hope the people that are out there that don't feel like they belong look for people where they have those overlapping values and commonalities, you know, and it doesn't have to be somebody you know, uh, high up in the organization. It can be a peer as well. Peer mentoring and peer coaching is an amazing attribute that we should all be tapping into. I love it. The other question I have is, um, how do you pick this board? So I'm guessing you're looking for things, you know, certain people for certain things, right? You don't want your board to be universal. You want diversity on your board just like you do in other things, right? So how are you picking these people out? You know, I think it's twofold. One, sometimes it happens by chance. Mm. I think of uh, my favorite, and I do play favorites, <laughs> uh, personal board of advisor. Uh, it's it's one of the partners at a big consulting firm. He runs the oil and gas division there. He actually found me. Mm. And he was like, listen, I think you have potential. Uh, here's all the things that I think you're missing out on, though. He told me one time, he said, uh, you know, when you walk into a boardroom, I'm sure you can bowl over the entire room. Why don't you try listening? <laughs> and I was like, great Ouch. advice. Yeah, but, you know, you need to hear that from your personal voice advice. So sometimes they come to you by by circumstance. Sometimes you go looking for them. I know I recently interviewed for a public board position, and I haven't done that a lot in my lifetime, and I wanted some very specific advice. Advice, how to do that. So what did I do? I called up DU 
Thank you, Carrie and Scott. Shout out to you guys out there and Barb (laughs) for giving me some great names to connect with. And do you have chemistry with everybody? No. And I think chemistry matters. It's a little bit like dating. You got to make sure that you have something, you know, a connection with the other person across the table so that you can find the commonality again. And, uh, you know, they were able to really provide me a lot of great resources at the same time, uh, as well as meet a lot of just great new people. Mm. Oh, that's awesome. I want to talk a little bit about your time here at Daniels. So you pursued an MBA. What interested you in that? Um, You obviously had a fantastic education at the School of Mines. So why get an MBA? What were you looking for? So the MBA really started back with my family. Mm. And as we mentioned, we had the family gold mine. The gold mine was growing quite a bit when I was younger, and they took on a partner. And to their naivete, they lost the business, a business I had grown up up in since I was eight years old. And when I left for college is when it happened. And I was like, I don't want that to ever happen again. And so justice is extremely important to me, but I really came to DU so that I could make sure that if I ever had to protect my family again, I would. And not only that, but protect my own career as well. I love it. So as you know, we teach ethical leadership here, dedication to the public good. How do your values factor into how how you lead? You know, so I talked a little bit about my values in terms of being passionate, having integrity, uh, you know, really focusing on human connection. And that's really what drives me. And so when I think of integrity, I do think of ethics, you know, and, and the reason why I showed up at DU watching my family lose their business was so hard to watch the injustice associated with that. And even in my own career, when I bump into that, and I think about the ethical piece and how important that is, and tying that to my personal value of integrity and human connection. And I think about one of the worst times in my entire career. It was a few years ago, and uh, we had a blowout. And in oil and gas, a blowout is the worst thing on the face of the planet. This blowout happened to be 1,000 feet away from a public water reservoir. I was the nighttime incident commander, so starting at 6 p.m. till 6 a.m., and it took us two weeks to get this under control. Talk about uh, not a fun phone call to make when this started, as well as doing a uh, public earnings call and telling the whole world. No pressure there. And I'll tell you, this, this is really when I had to double down on my values because a lot of times in extraordinary circumstances like that, the business is at risk. But even more importantly, people in the environment are at risk as well. And you have to decide where you're at. And not everybody's on the same page. And I'll tell you one thing I do not believe that sometime business leaders do. Human life is not just worth $2.5 million. I am sorry. That is a huge difference between me and some others out there, not everybody. And so I think back to this blowout. It was the night that we were finally going to like finish the job and plug this thing. And it was really high stress because this was tons of gas flowing and the water reservoir was nearby. We had all the engineers on staff and there was an immense amount of stress in the room. And I went to our CEO and he was pretty stressed out. I said, hey, why don't you go home? Because uh, I got this, you know, I'll text you a play by play. The team needs to have their head in the game. You know, we we got this. Just give us a little bit of space. And uh, all he had to do was leave 
And that was kind of the writing on the wall for me that like, we do not look at this the same way. Here I am trying to care and feed these people so that they can keep everyone safe. And you're telling us to hurry up so we can get the business back online. That's two different worlds. You know, that's when you need to go find something else. Mm, Gosh, that is very revealing. I know, um, obviously, I looked at the Keras website, and it's very clear um, that you believe in sustainability there. So talk a little bit about the company's values, and it sounds like they align with yours. Yeah, they do. Uh, You know, growing up in Alaska, one of the biggest things was always take care of your backyard. Mm -hmm. I mean, I heard that all the time from my grandfather, from my dad, from my mom. It was like, we live in this beautiful place. We're incredibly lucky to have homesteaded here. I mean, how many people even get to grow up that way. It was, it's wonderful. Colorado is so much like that too. And really everywhere I've lived, I find to be absolutely beautiful. And I wanted a company that did believe that, right? And Karis being a Denver-based company, we have operations all over the Rockies. Uh, I wanted a company that aligned with that because that's a part of who I am. It's how I grew up. And, you know, when I came to Karis being COO, I had an opportunity to really cultivate that as well. And in conjunction with our great GC, Allison Wilston, and the support of our CEO, Dave Keat, we were able to do our first sustainability report two years ago. And what was great about that, and you see a lot of this in sustainability reporting, sometimes you hire third parties and they come in and they make up all your data. We did it internally, and it was our data and it was from our people. And I think one of the big differences at Keras, uh, and we do see this at a lot of companies, is because people live and work and breathe exactly in the same spot, our teams out there care just as much. And they don't want to ruin it either. They're all huge outdoorsmen mm-hmm. out there. I mean, like, they love snowmobiling and fishing and doing all the things outside that are a part of the Rockies lifestyle. And we really do care. And I think it's a misnomer out there that, like, oil and gas is the bad guys. No, it's full of a bunch of people that really don't want to mess anything up. I mean, we don't want to spill. We want to keep the environment clean. We want clean air just like everybody else. The practices that are in place are extremely easy to do. I mean, that has been one of the things that our board, being that uh, we're predominantly backed by a California company, Oak Tree, they're very big on making sure that we're sustainable, which that aligns for me too. Mm -hmm. So making sure that we're taking care of our people, we're taking care of our land, that we own it, and it's all the way down to the operator level. The guy that turns the wrench out there, he cares just as much and he's just as responsible as I am or the head of environmental or the head of air quality or the CEO or the board. We're all in it together. Whoa. That was convincing. (laughs) I, I love it. So as you know, you are a voice of experience, if you didn't know that already. (laughs) So what do you wish you had known as a student or do you have a motto or lesson, something you'd like to pass on as a voice of experience? So I think it goes back again to my personal board of advisors, you know, and I think of um, my partner, Steve Kenny, he's a CFO. I tap into that brain all the time. He's so smart. And really, I think of my best friend as well, Christy Effelman. She runs a company called Edge Leadership. I met her years ago when I was working out east. And Christy said to me, what are you doing? 
she was ticked at me. And this is like when we first met. I was like, what do you mean what I'm doing? She's like, you have figured this out and you're not helping anyone else figure this out. I was like, what do you mean? Just because I, I'm, I'm good. Like there's not a problem out there. She's like, oh, there's a problem out there. You just don't know. And so really what she was saying to me was a call to action. Mm-hmm. And this was like 10 years ago where she was saying, get your tail out there and do something. And so today what I want to say is this is a call to action. Tomorrow, today, this week, this month, go find a mentor. Go find somebody who needs a mentor. Go find an advocate. Go be an advocate for someone that needs an advocate. It's not that hard. You just have to stick your neck out there just a tiny little bit, and it'll pay off, you know, tenfold. And Christy always says this. She says, if you light a candle for 10 people, they'll light a candle for 10 more people and 10 more people. And the next thing you know, you've lit up a million people, which is pretty special. Thank you, Christy, for that advice. Mm, I love it. I love it. All right, Andrea, is there anything else I haven't asked you that you'd like to share, whether it's about you, the company? I just want to say thank you for including me with such a great group of people from Voices Experience. You know, it makes you feel really good when you get to be in company like that. And just once again, thank you to DU for giving me such a great life. And uh, I just appreciate all the opportunity uh, that this school has provided me. And I, I hope if you're out there and you're listening and you're thinking about the MBA, Go do it. Heck, you can come back anytime you want, Andrea, with that. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much for coming in. We really appreciate it. Thank you. This has been the VOE Podcast, produced by the Daniels College of Business and sponsored by U.S. Bank. Music by Joshua Metzl, music composition graduate student at the Lamont School of Music. Join us next time for more business insights from our community. In the meantime, visit daniels.du.edu slash VOE dash podcast. And please remember to like, follow, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.